1: What's up Buffalo? Good morning. Welcome to Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer and Brenda Alacy with you until noon. And let me tell you, Brenda, I was seven years old the last time the Buffalo Bills won (laughs) the AFC East. And this morning I feel like a child all over again.
2: Well, I think you'll have many more memories now that you're a grown man And Joe, 25 years, uh, I remember that well, and I was not seven years old. My husband and I have been seasoned ticket holders for 25 years and live and die with the bills like so many other people in this community. And I look and I think, you know, we're in this pandemic. 2020 has been a surreal and, and very tragic year for so many people, difficult for everybody. It's cold, it's dreary, it's rainy and snowy. But the Bills are back, and I mean, you talk about a huge ray of sunshine for this community. Uh, it's just so exciting to see this team come together. And Joe, you know, the other thing, these guys seem like really good dudes. I really like Josh Allen as a person, uh, somebody like a Deion Dawkins and Jerry Hughes. They seem like really good men, and I, I just salute them. I salute what uh, Brandon Bean And Sean McDermott have brought to this community under the ownership of Terry and Kim Pagula. What an exciting time to be a Bills fan.
1: I'll tell you, and the future could not be brighter. You know, Uh, I think, and we were going to have Congressman Higgins, hopefully he can join us in in a few weeks. Uh, But I I really think, uh, Brenda, we need to get a a bill on the floor of Congress that all the vaccines get sent to Western New York so we can fill the stadium for the (laughs) first home playoff game since '96.
2: Well, I was glad that Governor Cuomo at least indicated something that gave us some optimism about you know getting fans in the stadium if it can be done, it's got to be done. So uh, let's hope. but just such an exciting time and it doesn't take away the joy I feel that you know this team is back finally after 25 years. you think about it, Joe a quarter century, so many ups and downs, so many coaches and quarterbacks have come and gone through the years. but uh, this team is there's some magic about this team and I'm So excited to be a a fan and you know, you and I talk about red, white, and blue every week on this show. Red, white, and blue when it comes to our country, our beloved country, and the politics and the ups and downs with that. But the Bills are red, white, and blue, too. And it means so much to me to have a team like this represent our city. And, and you know, get. I'm tired of the cliches about our weather all the time. They took a cheap <laughs> shot yesterday on the broadcast. That's right. This team has brought a lot of good things to Buffalo. And now you're talking about a, a championship team in this city. So, Great to have them back and so excited for the team and for this community.
1: And, and just one last thing. The last time the uh, the Bills won the AFC East, the L.A. Rams had moved to St. Louis, and it was their first season in St. Louis. It took them playing their entire 21 years in St. Louis and moving back to L.A. before the Bills would win again.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so many things have happened. I mean, just look at the difference in technology and all the things that we have access to. And one of the things that stood out to me last night, watching the thousands of fans who showed up at the airport at, you know, one thirty in the morning in the cold, it didn't deter them. But seeing the players come down the steps from the plane, and you could see they were holding something up, and you soon realize it was their cell phones. They were taking yep. video of the fans as they came off the plane. So, obviously, it's a mutual love affair here, and can't wait to see what happens next.
1: It really is, and believe me, we I, I'm excited. I'm excited for the last two games of the season. I'm excited for the playoffs, but we are here to talk politics as well. Sometimes... You can do both bills, politics, and we will be doing that. And we'll be starting with Amherst Town Supervisor Brian Culpa. Brian, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Well, this morning, Brian. Now, uh, you were in the news this week. You and Congressman Brian Higgins have uh, have agreed to put a task force together to get children, to get healthy. I'm sorry, to get children away from drugs. Uh, can you explain that to the uh, audience?
3: Yeah, so our our Youth and Recreation Department, along with some of our volunteer groups, do a great job already of youth programming. But we know that, you know, especially with everything that's happening with COVID, that there's mental health issues that are looming on the horizon, none of the least of which is addiction. So this is an opportunity for us to try to, as a town, intervene to help um, some of those kids who might be um, otherwise tempted by substance abuse and def- and deter, you know, future problems.
2: And how did the collaboration happen, Brian, with uh, Congressman Higgins, the two Brian's at work here? Uh, is this the first time that you've collaborated on something uh, related to drug addiction in the opioid uh, crisis?
3: I really have to give a lot of credit to Mary Diana, uh, who is our youth and rec uh, director. Uh, this is her brainchild. Uh, We have a phenomenal town that, you know, and our staff works hard to figure out ways to mitigate problems before they become problems. Congressman Higgins' staff and I have worked together collaboratively on a number of of subjects. This is the first time we've overlapped on substance abuse. So, you know, we're happy to have him on board as a partner, um, and we're happy to be able to take this this grant and, and turn it into something that we think can really be a model for Western New York.
2: What does specifically will the grant money do? Is it, is it education-focused for the most part?
3: Yeah, it's, it's about childhood intervention, right? So it's, it's about um, getting, um, you know, peers networking and getting, um, you know, our, our staff involved with kids and making sure kids understand the sort of nature um, and dangers related to some of the substances there's so many gateways out there to substance abuse problems right now. Um, you know, that it takes a uh, takes a lot of different ideas and that's what we're gonna be trying to focus on, really taking the best of the best ideas that we have and and putting them to good work.
1: So so this uh, this federal grant will this, this program will work in relation to county and state programs as well, correct?
3: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's meant to to sort of um, model some of those programs the town of amherst is about 126,000 people so nested within erie county we make up a huge chunk of the population so we realize that the town has to step up along with our county and state partners we can't uh can't take for granted that somebody else is going to do this type of stuff for us
2: brian it it seems to me you know we're dealing in a a, a very um difficult situation with the coronavirus, uh, all of the things associated with living in a pandemic. It's been stressful for everybody. And you also have peer pressure for kids who are, you know, perhaps still in high school or even beyond. Uh, Are those the two things that you think make this especially important uh, right now as we near the end of 2020?
3: Yeah, it's a little bit like we've set our children on a collision course. And we've asked them to to adapt to a hundred changes in their daily life and their scenario and what they can, when they can and how they can and cannot socialize with their friends. So what we're concerned with is that, you know, a lapse of judgment isn't always something that is, you know, a mistake by a child. Sometimes frankly, it comes out of, it comes out of a necessity or need that that child feels to, to be social, to be um, popular, to be, you know, with their friends, you know, and you know when when substances get into the mix and peer pressure exists, and you, they already have the baggage of, of the stress that we all feel as adults. We're asking kids to to make good decisions, but you know they're they're still young, and we have to realize they don't always know how and what the right decisions to make are. So, our hope is that with programs like these, uh, we can help them with that.
1: Brent, I want to switch the gears to uh, COVID-19 and just ask, I know this is probably the most basic question I could ask, uh, but how is the town of Amherst dealing right now with COVID?
3: Uh, see, I thought we were going to talk bills. No, I'm
2: just
3: <laughs> um, We could do that. We could do be that. Too. we are happy <laughs> to. We are trying our best um, in the town to to be able to, to – um, To to assist people that need help, we're trying to find uh, places where maybe there's a lot of spread where we can intervene, maybe with PPE, maybe with education. Um, Our police have done a great job of we're not necessarily going out and, and quote unquote, shutting things down. But instead, what we're doing is we're going out and talking to business owners and, and people proactively saying, hey, what do you need? here's the changes that are coming, what kind of changes, you know, are you ready for? What do you need to help you be ready? And then as a town, we're trying to help, you know, everybody go through those steps. It's really frustrating. Um, as any other community leader would tell you, I, you know, at the end of the day, you throw your hands up when your numbers jump up, even though you've tried your best and, and done everything the town can, we will be distributing another 62,000 masks. We're continue to, to push some of those programs we continue to try to find ways to work with local businesses uh, to hopefully keep them moving and keep them um, uh, occupied and one of the ways we did that was yesterday we we held an outdoor farmers market and artisan market so we could get some of the local businesses to be able to 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 go to a safe environment and you know and and have uh, maybe a day of productivity and a lot of vendors told us they were selling out so that was good everybody was safe we, we took care of the ppe and the hand sanitizer and everything on the front end so it's really a, a collective approach most important we have an active emergency operations center it's been active now since march 15th and we try to you know take decisions and questions and throw things to a group of people not just myself but you know, we work hard to, uh, to come up with answers and ideas and, and be creative about how we how we approach this thing.
2: We're talking with uh, Town of Amherst Supervisor Brian Koppel, who was also the former mayor of Williamsville. And uh, Brian, um, talking about COVID and all the challenges of that, how has that impacted uh, progress at the Audubon Golf Course and the Westwood uh, property?
3: Um, I would say that, you know, that it's certainly diverted my attention at times from, um, from negotiating, uh, purchase prices and stuff. But at the end of the day, uh, my staff's done a great job. I think some of our partners in the private sector have done a great job. So, so we continue to move forward with the project. It's, uh, it, you know, inevitably everything is, you know, a heartbeat slower than it would have been in a non COVID year um but we feel pretty good about where things are heading
2: and where do you see things heading now where where will we be say in one year from today and at the end of 2021 when it when it comes to those two specific projects it's been there's been so much uh attention directed to those projects and every time i hmm. drive up and down north forest i see signs on people's homes people are, are are pretty passionate about what's happening with those two properties what do you forecast for the next year
3: well, so you know, as as we've talked about, uh, Westwood is still going to become a park, and um, at the end of the day, uh, we <laughs> we just we're just opening up RFPs for golf consultants. Um, we'll be will be you know basically working to create the future um, 18 for the town of Amherst um, that may be at Oakwood um, up in the north of the portion of Amherst, but all of those things, you know. Um, are going to be basically a year from now, you know, through uh, or heavily into a design process. And our expectation is we'll have come off another season of play at Audubon. Um, we'll have we'll have come off a, a season where a summer where things look sort of like they do now. But Westwood will be dealing with some remediation and we'll be doing some cleanup elsewhere, and we'll be heading towards. Uh, uh, 22 were were really actually putting uh shovels in ground and developing a park
1: brian looking down sheridan uh next to whole foods i know that was a big project that was to uh to be underway but you know covid has put pause on everything where does that stand right now and to copy brenda's question where do you see that in a year
3: so that one covid really took its toll on that that was a. Uh, retail project um with a firm based in uh, in in boston and they basically they didn't pull plugs but they shut down their their construction process for the year um you know they say that they're gonna they're gonna sort of regroup um the construction season and, and really put their backs into it and and get everything moving again i think um you know there's some for optimism, but at the same time, I have my concerns that a retail-only project won't really get started. Um, it's not like the Boulevard Mall, which is Douglas Jamal, who has told me basically, think hey, he'll go as soon as we can let him go. So we're ready to we're ready to start really pushing that forward, and that'll be coming in for plan planning uh, review, and um, that project should actually break ground in the spring.
2: Brian, for Station 12, which is um, the area that we're talking about at Northtown, have any of the major retailers pulled out at this point, or do you still feel like they might still come despite what's been happening with COVID?
3: All the permits are still in place. In fact, the company extended or or held all of their construction contracts with their contractors as well. So that's a good sign, but uh, kind of remains to be seen, I guess, with what will happen.
2: Do you think Whole Foods will survive? Um, I think so much of their uh, position at that at that former site of Northtown was if you, you know,
3: uh, if you order food off of Amazon and it's delivered, it's coming from Whole Foods.
2: Right. So that's really what keeps them going because oftentimes you walk in the store and it's not very busy, and I so, wonder how viable it is. Oh,
3: well, it doesn't look busy. I'm like, how busy is Amazon? <laughs>
2: that's
3: how busy Whole Foods. Is.
2: So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, a
3: little more regionally for that one
2: mm mm-hmm. Uh, another topic uh, Joe and I talked about this over the summer was the uh, controversy involving that parked that empty space at the corner of Niagara Falls Boulevard and Kenmore Avenue uh, what's the update on that space
3: yeah I, I, I always find it interesting um, you know it, it draws so much attention uh, it's a so we currently have been through the process of, of an eminent domain action and then subsequent challenges to the eminent domain action the town was successful in court in all of those actions so right now um, we have basically the capacity to develop the parcels we see fit for the town that means this spring we will be constructing a park and, uh, and we're kind of going through the finalization of our engineering documents to create a really great park it's really gonna be a really great gateway for people it's gonna house a farmers market um, we think that there's a lot that can happen at that
2: place. Well, that's good to know. And uh, Brian, we really appreciate you uh, joining us on a Sunday morning. Uh, go, Bill. Stay safe and uh, happy holidays. And here's to a much better 21 for all of us.
3: All right. Let's go, Buffalo.
1: All right. That is Amherst Town Supervisor Brian Coppa joining us. And, uh, you know, Brenda, that project on Sheridan had a lot of promise, but there, I mean, Let's be honest. There's only so much you can do in a time of COVID, and with ending the year with more question marks than answers.
2: Oh, no doubt about it, Joe. And it was—it's uh, a shame because there were so many big name retailers who were going to come there and have kind of a different concept. Even the name Station Twelve was different. Uh, so it's—it's uh, it's too bad that things seem to be uh, on the slow track at this moment. But who knows what might happen in 21. Uh, we'll see. And there's plenty of retail in this community. And it's nice to know that so many people are supporting small businesses, local mom and pops uh, during the COVID crisis. I think it's, it's put a spotlight on all of those small businesses and people seem to have more of a mindset of supporting them. So let's hope everybody can survive the best they can as, uh, as the pandemic rolls on.
1: One hundred percent. When we come back, we will be joined.
2: Brenda. Brenda by Bob Canada. He is with Spectrum Health and Human Services and we'll talk about how different projects are underway to help people cope during COVID and how the government might be playing a role in that.
1: All that and more and your calls 803-0930 right here on Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN.
2: And welcome Welcome back to Hardline on this Sunday before Christmas. I hope uh, all is well uh, as best can be expected uh, during the uh, the COVID era that we're living in. Hopefully the vaccines will make life a lot easier for all of us. And we'll be talking about the impact of COVID in just a moment with Bob Kanata. He is the vice president of community-based programs at Spectrum Health and Human Services. And uh, before we get into that, you know, a quick thought here about uh, all the Bills fans who showed up at the airport last night to greet the team at around one thirty in the morning. And, you know, I saw a lot of coverage on it. There's some great video and great stories on WBEN.com at radio.com. You can see all of that as well. A lot of folks were not wearing masks. And it begs the question, will Governor Cuomo, will Will Erie County Executive Mark Polonkers and will the Department of Health chide those fans about not wearing masks? Uh, some did, but many did not. So it'll be interesting to see if the uh, the government leaders who are always advocating to wear a mask, which I think is a good idea, will say something about that uh, that show of support for the bills last night with many not wearing a mask.
1: You know, I, I think we are at a at a point for for some. You know, you know the risk if you go to the airport and. Hey, I was going to go to the airport, but I want to be—you know—I want to be able to see my family on uh, on Friday, so I stayed home. Uh, but for those who went, it looked like it was an awesome time, and you know, it's been 25 years. And for those that went, they know the risk. They they know the risk, and hopefully for the next two weeks, they will keep their distance and they will wear a mask when they go to a store or something, uh, and just realize the situation they put themselves in. However. However, the people on Twitter, I got to say this and then we'll we'll get to our guests and I apologize for keeping them waiting. But, you know, the people on Twitter that are talking about those at the airport, you're telling me over the last nine months you haven't you've gone 100 percent with the guidelines. I find that hard to believe for anyone on Twitter right now who's talking about, oh, how dare those people at the airport not wearing a mask. So you haven't seen you haven't physically seen one friend in the last nine months. You haven't taken a little bit of a risk in the last nine months. This is 25 years in the making, and I applaud those at the airport. And again, I would just ask to be cautious the next two weeks.
2: A lot of finger-pointing, Joe, uh, during COVID, which makes the stress even uh, more difficult to deal with. And, and we're going to talk about that for a few minutes with Bob Canada, who is with Spectrum Health and Human Services. Bob, good morning, and thank you for joining us.
4: Good morning, Brenda and Joe. Nice to uh, talk with you again, Joe. We were on a couple months ago on a live radio show
1: together. Yes, yes, uh, I remember that well, Bob. And uh, I thank you for joining us again today.
2: You And you know, Bob, we, we're talking about uh, you know, even though it's a fun and positive thing for the community, there's the underlying COVID always lurking, even uh, even for the Bills' victory and the air- airport turnout last night. And that means that, you know, COVID is always in the back of our mind, whether we want it to be or not. And it just adds to the stress. Uh, you've got already economic uncertainty. People are going hungry in many cases. Folks have lost their business. Uh, where can people go for help during these times?
4: Yeah, absolutely good things to to, to talk about. So. Getting help looks different for every person. And, every you know, people rely on friends, family, support groups, faith-based connections, just to name a few. And Spectrum Health is always here to help as well. Just uh, real briefly, we, we've been here for 43 years. We've started as a small agency providing mental health and substance use counseling in southeast Erie County. Now we've got clinics throughout western New York, including South Buffalo, 128, 1280 Main Street near Utica in downtown Buffalo, West Seneca, Springville, and Warsaw. And then we also provide other services, so housing, health home, care management services, peer support, reentry for people leaving the state prisons and physical health-related services, and especially services for getting medication to people that have severe substance use problems. And that's been one of the big issues. Along with COVID, it was really tough on its own, but now with COVID, substance use has just really, uh, really increased. So what we've done over the past couple months with the pandemic is we really try to provide services that fit our clients' needs. So we offer safe in-person appointments, but along with telehealth by phone and video. We want people to have like the service that they're most comfortable with. We even started a text line for emotional support in Wyoming County or for, for Wyoming County residents a few months ago. We've already had 4,300 incoming texts on that line, so I would say that despite COVID, it's never been easier to start counseling with all the different ways that we can inter- that people can interact with our workers. And some people are, you know, there's people who've just really. Thought about it over and over again. Very reluctant to come into a first counseling appointment. So now being able to start this over the phone is even less stressful to, to start things uh, to start things going. So we have 400 employees now, and we provide services in Erie, Cattaraugus, Genesee, Monroe, Niagara, Orleans, and Wyoming counties. And I'm kind of proud of myself to remember them all. I usually forget one or two. <laughs> Um, Before I forget, I just want to say we have a 24-hour helpline, too. Like, people can call 710-5172, and if you call that number 24-7, you're connected to a live person. And I'll probably repeat this, but I want to make sure that your listeners know that the Spectrum Spectrum website is out there at www.shswny.org.
1: Bob, did you uh, in that number you, you uh, gave out, and in the the um, people, have you noticed like during the holiday times that number being called more? What what's the number one thing um, that you're noticing with the holidays plus COVID plus everything else going on? You know, it's
4: interesting that I think there's people that call just to be sure that there's somebody on the other end of the line. And, you know, we're, we're all I think we're all in this together. We're all trying to promote services and offer help. But I think people call that line to say, you know, is there really like a live person that, that can talk with me? But if I was going to say the number one problem, I mean, a lot of times it's people that are familiar with spectrum, So they're asking for a little bit more help to get them through the evening or the weekend. But uh, it's really more the the increased anxiety and, uh, you know, people are just irritable and they're uncertain, uncertain with what's going on with uh with the pandemic. So, so if they can talk to someone that can kind of be a sh- more reassuring and give people more hope, um, that's one of the biggest things that people can do.
1: I, I wonder, because you really have, um, you had the election this year, you have the pandemic, uh, and now the holidays. Um, four years ago, are, do election times bring, uh, do you see more cases during the election time uh, of people with that uncertainty, uh, maybe with anxiety, uh, people reaching out for help in just a regular election year without COVID?
4: It's hard to say. I mean, I'm going to guess that, like, anything that kind of rocks the boat for people, anything big that happens or anything that gets people worried or thinking. I mean, it could even be anticipation of hope for some people, you know, with an election. You know, politics aside, some people are like, wow, you know, I've got my hopes up. And people will call about things like that. I do want to talk to you about a new program that we have that we're excited about, though, with some federal funding, if that's okay.
2: This is the uh, program uh, that's being developed by FEMA or being helped with FEMA dollars, Project HOPE?
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're really excited to begin this. So it's called Project HOPE. And then early into the pandemic, New York State applied for federal FEMA funds to to form a disaster response support program. A, A lot of times when we think about FEMA, it's disasters like hurricanes and floods, but FEMA also funds or authorizes funding to the states for COVID disaster response. So New York state was uh, awarded those funds a couple months ago. And then since then, New York identified the counties that are hit the hardest with the pandemic and Erie County was targeted for funds to provide a crisis counseling program. And we were encouraged by you know, some local folks to, to apply. And, and we were thrilled when we found out uh, two weeks ago that we received our authorization to hire staff and start providing this free service throughout Erie County. So this is, um, we'll get training by FEMA, and SAMHSA is the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, so we'll work with them, and at OMH, New York State Office of Mental Health, is going to oversee the program. So what is it? It's, it's community-based outreach, assessment, and referral, and the key thing is, I you know, I love the F word, the free word. You know, people are listening all the time for, like, what's this going to cost? So this is, free services that are different than traditional counseling. There's no treatment records, no names, addresses kept, but the program offers phone or zoom or even in-person meetings to people that are having the toughest time coping with the effects of the COVID pandemic. It could be emotional, financial, medical. I mean, all the things that we've just been talking about, It, it could even be a hard time with people relating with other family members that are trying to cope in their own ways with the pandemic. You mentioned, you know, the mass debate, you know, people will, will, will argue, family members will argue about masks and safe distancing. And, and my point on that is that there's a lot of stress with people that maybe used to get along a little better together, but now they find themselves like arguing for uh, even the smallest thing. So we're going to be putting together these teams of crisis counselors. We're going to be able to go out into the community, but like I said, face-to-face resume or phone meetings. And then Anyone's going to be able to call us, too. So a business might say, gee, you know, can you come out and talk to my employees? Maybe a little group session to try to help the employees uh, feel more uh, safer with the pandemic or even cope with their own kind of anxieties. So we're going to do this. We're going to promote public education meetings. And then the other thing that comes up is people will say, well, what if I need more? You know, people are asking, um, how do I know? you know, that I might need more intense or formal services other than just kind of coping. So, and again, I didn't just come up with this myself, but but I'm kind of taking what most of my, my colleagues have said as well. I would say like every situation is individual, you know, and, and the thing I would, you know, the thing I would ask yourself is how strong are the effects of the pandemic keeping you from doing what you want to do? You know, if the, if the effects of the pandemic are really getting in the way of you trying to live your life, then you can... Think about some counseling or other support beyond all the other things that are out there. So we're, we're putting this together. We're hiring staff. And in the next uh, three weeks, we're going to get this program out there. And, um, we'll, you know, we'll get our own phone number and we'll work with New York State and the local media to, to get the
3: word out.
2: Bob, uh, does FEMA give you a bucket of money, for instance, and then you use it for as long as you think? Or is there a deadline that you have to use this within a certain period of time?
4: I'm glad you brought that up. So FEMA gives the money to the states and then the states give us a budget. There's a you know a long process involved where you know, we offer or we come up with the services that we want to offer. So New York State gave us X amount of dollars and then we have to spend those dollars but right now it's set for the end of June. So June twenty twenty one, technically those dollars expire. But what we're hoping is that we know this isn't going to go away in just a couple of months. So we hope to get the program extended for a few months, maybe longer. And a lot of times the, the state and the federal agencies do what they call like a no-cost extension. So it's like you can continue to give to offer the service until the, the funds run out.
2: Uh, you know, the other thing that strikes me, is you mentioned, you'll be hiring a lot of uh, staff. And it's got to be particularly difficult to be a counselor in this uh, in this era right now, uh, how do you protect the folks who are trying to help others?
4: That's a great question, and I, I was impressed when I when I went through the FEMA disaster training myself because they really acknowledge that the workers themselves are going to need support, and you know, different than let's say a hurricane or a flood, going door to door and knocking on knocking on doors of people that that had the flood where let's say me as the worker I wasn't affected this affects everybody so there's a whole lot of training and they and they built in a lot of uh, funding for support so I'll give you an example like we'll have uh, each team we could hire up to five or six teams and each of those teams will have six to eight counselors supervised by a licensed clinician As a team leader and that person reports to a project director but part of that team leader's job is to keep a pulse on the people that are doing the service what do they need what kind of support you know so we want to we want to give them flexibility we want to help them do the best job that that they can and the other thing with hiring is i realize i'm hiring for positions where i have to say that the funding will most likely end in june so people are hope you know people that are taking these positions are hopeful that they'll be able to stay on. Um, like I said before, we're a larger agency and, and we tend to really try to keep our best people and, and offer them other positions in the agency. So what we would do our best to, to do that if, if the funding ended.
1: And if, you know, come June, uh, do you think you might be in a position, now COVID might have, might be passed, that you might be able to keep more people on board?
4: Yeah, it really depends on what we have in Zoom. You know, even with, you know, the vaccine and all the other things that are going, uh, we definitely have positions available for 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 crisis programs i wanted to talk with you about our cares program as well if if we can move on to that too and that's that's an existing program but that would be an example of like crisis programs that we operate that are that are existing pre-covid and they're going to be here beyond COVID. yeah go right ahead bob so this this program is um it's it's called spectrum cares and we've operated this program for the past 12 years this care stands for crisis and restabilization emergency services. And this is a 24-7 phone support and face-to-face visits if needed to youth under 18 anywhere in Erie County who are experiencing a crisis. So like I said, we've offered this for the past 12 years. Anyone can call that CARES line. Um, It's 882-HELP or 882-4357. And this service is provided at no cost. And our goal with this is to support families resolving crisis situations in the home or community and then help prevent a future crisis. So why why this is an important service is that, especially with COVID, you know, kids, uh, children, teens may be experiencing anxiety, depression, or other mental health symptoms. They, they may have been experiencing these a year ago, but with COVID effects, there's more intense um, and lingering irritability, anxiety, depression. And then one of, the, one of the biggest calls to our CARES line is behavioral disruptions, problems between parents, and kids uh, we know with school it's just been so unpredictable are they in school are they out is there the hybrid kind of a kind of a model so they're really trying to do their best to adjust and a lot of the calls that we get on that line are conflicts with parents that the parents are very stressed too they're trying to do the best that they can do but there's um, there's a lot going on for them right if parents are trying to work from home there might be increased use of alcohol or other drugs by people in the home. Uh, we know so many people have reported sleeping problems, and parents and kids are kind of stuck with each other sometimes, spending a lot more time than they thought, uh, and then having some tense moments about maybe the kids wanting to be out and be out with friends, what's safe, what's not so um, so we handle these kind of situations and the other thing is, our youth could be experiencing suicidal thoughts or feelings or engaging in self-harming behavior. They might be engaging in excessive or threatening behavior towards the family members. Really, any kind of a crisis, as the caller defines it. So people give us a call on that, and we assess over the phone to see what the best response would be. If we need to, we can also send a team of counselors out. We'll send a, a team of two people out to meet with the family. These are trained crisis counselors. Um, at least one of them is a mental health, a licensed mental health uh, professional. And then we can, we can work with the family in the home. We, we can do a lot of this by phone, but we can also do a lot in home. We can provide a detailed crisis assessment, and the goal would be to offer solutions, stabilize the crisis. Uh, we can assist the parents with some positive uh, parroting techniques with some great handouts on coping skills, dealing with bullying um, I, I love the one on like 150 ways to keep calm. You know, myself, it's it's a good one that I look through every so often. So we can also help the family develop crisis and safety plans. Um, we also have the authority under Erie County's mental health system that we can authorize transportation to Erie County Medical Center for an evaluation for for admission if that's needed. We really want to avoid unnecessary psychiatric hospitalization. So we'll work really hard to explore other options with the family. And this Bob, it
2: sounds like you have a very comprehensive plan, uh, a lot of programs available. Why don't you give that number one more time?
4: Sure, sure. So the CARES number is 882-HELP or eight eight two four three five seven. And I want to repeat that people can go to the website at shswny.org and they can find all the phone numbers and all the information of the stuff that we're talking about well you know again it's a really dedicated team i can't say enough of, uh, of the people at spectrum these are 24-hour crisis response teams what i just described to you we do in erie county with the kids eight uh, under 18 years old we also do in wyoming county 24 7 and we have contracts in genesee and orleans county to do there after-hours crisis response. So we're very busy. We're very involved with the community. We work real close with the schools, the police, the mental health agencies. And uh, again, I can't say enough about the dedication of all the staff that work at this.
2: It's great. And no need to feel ashamed or stigmatized to ask for help. We all need help sometime, especially uh, right now, the way things are going. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. There's help to be had with uh, organizations like Spectrum. And Bob Canada. thank you so much for coming on, and I wish you a Merry Christmas.
4: I appreciate it. Nice talking with you, Brenda. And once again, Joe, good talking with you. Take care.
2: Bob Canata is the Vice President of Community-Based Programs at Spectrum Health and Human Services. Much more to come. We'll, uh, We'll talk with Pat Bradley from Niagara Falls Memorial Medical Center in the next hour, as well as Erie County Legislator Joe Larigo. Much more to come right here on Hardline.